you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Malachi. We are back. Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're just about to finish up Malachi. We have this week and next week. And then, Lord willing, by God's grace, we are going to start into Romans. So, yes. And, um, yeah, just be praying for me on that because there's so much uh, that's going into that. But in the meantime, there's so much in Malachi. I don't know. I mean... I pray that you've loved this this series through Malachi. It's been strong. It's been so like relevant for us. It just speaks to our hearts and who we are to be in Christ. And it's going to continue to do that in these last couple messages. So Malachi uh, chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the first three verses this morning. That's it, really focusing in on one verse primarily, but uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. For behold... The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much. Thank you for bringing us together this day. Thank you, Lord, for um, the opportunity to worship you with one heart. And I pray that we do just that. I thank you, Lord, as we come before your word, that you would... That you would um, Work in our illuminate our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord God, and bring conviction where we need to be convicted, encouragement where we need to be encouraged, Lord God, and just an absolute reliance upon your grace and upon your mercy. I do pray that you would be with me to bring forth your message because it's to you whom we look to and whom we learn from. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and praise God. Just a quick review, kind of, of Malachi, just to sum it up a little bit. Malachi is, is so good because you know what he's doing? He's calling out the church at that day. He's calling out the hypocrisy, the apathy, that unbelief, you know, that's veiled in religious activity, but, but just, you know, not truly believing. And he's calling from the top down because he, call, he starts... Doesn't necessarily start, but he gets to the leaders in the in the in the in the clergy and the priests, all the way down to the people who are not worshiping, who are not obeying, who are not living for him the way they ought to be, the way people who truly are loved by God and who love God seek to worship him. Right? So he's calling them out. Because you could see the resentment. You could see, and we've seen it. We've seen the resentment towards God in their attitudes, in their attitude towards worship. Remember, just bringing the lamest of lame and the sick. Here, God, you be happy with this. You know, I'm just going to give you what I want to give you, and you should be happy, but I'm saving the best for me. That's not how we honor God. We give him the best of the best, and we know that's still not good enough, right? But we're trusting in him. We see it. In, in, in their covenant faithful, faithlessness towards God, remember, they were marrying outside of the covenant. Oh, you don't believe in God? That's okay. You have your own God? That's cool. I still love you so we can make it work out. Well, it's not, it doesn't work like that, right? You, we see it in, in, in their attitudes regarding their own marriages. Remember, we did a whole sermon on divorce. So you're divorcing your wife. God hates divorce. What are you doing? 
That's not showing what, what, what I've designed for the family and love towards me. Even in their giving of their tithes, how they were holding back on God. I think I'll give God this much. I'm going to give him kind of what I want to give him. He's going to be happy with that. Forget about what he requires from us. <laughs> that attitude is so much like today, right? In many, many ways. And so much of evangelicalism and so much of the church, man, it, there's just a lack of any real reverence for God. We don't fear the Lord as we ought to. We don't reverence him. So much of the time, even as, as Christians or professing Christians, we want God on our terms. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, is we come to him on his terms, not on our terms. And, and so in, in many ways, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes are, are not much different than the people back in Jerusalem at this time, right? We expect him to accept our lame, self-serving worship when we come to him. It's not about, hey, here's what you require, Lord. Here's, what you, here's how you want us to worship you, and we're pleased to do that. No, 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 no. Here's how I'm going to worship you because it makes me feel good, and I hope you like it, by the way, God, right? It's kind of the attitude. That's, that's no better than bringing the lame and the sick um, lamb to, the sac to sacrifice for the Lord. That's, that's what that's like. Right? To approve, we want him to approve of our sinful relations and activities. Well, I have my reasons for marrying this person. Forget about the fact that he doesn't even know God. He doesn't even care about God. But, you know, maybe he'll get there through my witness or whatever, the reasons we give. Just outside the covenant. Even giving to the work of the Lord is way down on the list of our priorities. We have so much else that we give our time, our talents, our resources to. Then the church or the Lord comes a little bit later on. Look, man, the, the attitude's not much different, unfortunately, even in the church. And then we wonder why. We wonder why the church is so ineffective. We see all these churches with millions and thousands of people in the churches. Where's the salt and light? Where's the difference in the world that's being made? I don't know. I don't see it much, do you? We know the Lord is working, and he's advancing his kingdom. But for our part, man, it's, it's a mess, so much of it. And the thing is, as we've gone through Malachi, you've seen that these people have the audacity to be surprised. How haven't we loved you, God? What do you mean we haven't given to you? They're not even seeing it. And God has to constantly remind them through Malachi. Last time, a few weeks ago, we saw that God does. And here's the good news. He keeps a faithful remnant in the midst of such falling away, even among the people of God. So this is geared primarily. It's not just the outside world, the sinful world, but it's, he's talking about here, right here. That's why this is so powerful, isn't it? That's why it's hitting us, because it's speaking to us, to the people of God. And we know that he has a remnant. Amen. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you're in Jesus Christ, that he loves you, and he's preserving you, and we're being faithful, even when people, we see people within the church compromising left and right. And we see it. even teachers that we've followed and have appreciated in the past are kind of going the other way. So we pray that the Lord would keep us because we're just that far away from falling away, that he would keep us faithful to him. So there was a faithful remnant, and they were looking to the Lord, and, and you could almost hear them crying out, just, just like in Revelation, the saints, in Revelation 6-9, how the saints were, were crying out. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne. Those are the faithful ones, that faithful remnant. And what were they doing? And this is much of our cry even today, isn't it? You cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our, avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, Lord? Right? 
And that's almost, you could see that, hear that sense in those people in Malachi day, that faithful remnant that were calling out to the Lord. So as we're coming to the end of Malachi, this, this oracle of Malachi, basically it's this, the simple teaching. It might sound simplistic, but when you think about it, it's really not. It comes down to this fact that you cannot serve two masters. That's it. That's the bottom line. We know this from Scripture. You can't do that. You can't serve God and Satan. You can't do that and expect to have the blessings of the Lord. You, you can't serve Christ and yourself or your old life. You can't do that anymore. Our allegiance is completely to Christ. That's it. There's no compromise. You can't, you can't do that. You, you, you can't make room. You can't make a truth with sin. You can't do that. You can't get comfortable with sin in your life as a Christian. It's not, that's not who we are. We, we like to do that. We, we're good in some areas, but in other areas, especially those sins that are uh, deep within our heart that give us that comfort, we kind of like to, you know, compromise a little bit with that. There's no room for that. You can't do that. You can't serve two masters. We are called to mortify. That is to kill it, man. It's a battle. It's a war. It must be put to death, not rationalized. These guys were rationalized their sin. That's what they were doing. That's why they could say, God, how haven't we loved you? And it's so plain to see, this is how you haven't loved me. This is what you're doing. What are you talking about? You know, you want to say that. Yet we so easily deceive ourselves. So in this section, uh, these couple verses, well, this last section, really, it's really interesting because there's elements of, of both his first advent, looking forward to Christ's coming the first time, but also his second coming as it speaks to judgment. So we'll be talking about that as we go through. So for instance, in uh, verse 1, he says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. That's kind of not looking just to Christ's first advent, but it goes beyond that even to his second coming when he comes in judgment. But verses 2 and 3 are the ones we're really going to focus on this morning. He says, But for you, in verse 2, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping as calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see the hope in that for us that belong to Christ? There's great hope in that. This is loaded. This is a loaded passage. It's a loaded verse. It speaks so much about Christ, about the, the son of righteousness, that source of hope that we have only in Jesus Christ, the one who is to come. So we're really going to focus in on um, verse 2. Those who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. And what Malachi is doing, this is what you need to know, it's really important, is he uses the sun, right, the, the sun that's like, these back, like the last couple days, right, we're actually seeing the sun, which is a rarity in Pittsburgh, but it's beautiful. He's using that as an illustration. That's what you need to understand. He's not talking about the sun. We're not worshiping the sun like so many false religions or false gods. He's using that as, as an illustration, kind of as a metaphor to point out the qualities in the sun, the S-O-N, the one who is to come. And hopefully that'll become apparent as we go through the sermon. It does teach us. That little verse right there teaches us so much about our salvation in Jesus Christ, his love for his people, and our need for him, man. It's so good. So uh, let's just think about it. Let's just think about when he talks about the sun. Think about the sun itself, S-U-N. You can think about that. What's it do? When the sun rises, 
it amazingly dispels the darkness, number one. Easy, right? The darkness disappears. It overcomes that darkness. It, it overwhelms the darkness. And don't you love it? Like on a, on a cold, scary night and you're frightened, when that dawn comes, that helps, doesn't it? Because now you can see and now the light is there and there's hope with that. The darkness has been overcome. And in, in Scripture, and we even sing about it, darkness is a metaphor for what? It's a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for death. And light is often used as a metaphor for salvation and for wholeness. So we see that in Scripture. Even in Matthew chapter 4, who is signs like the sun? It says this. This is taken from Isaiah and actually applied to Jesus. It says, people dwelling in the darkness in their sin, have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death. On them, a light has dawned. You see that beautiful? That's the idea before that. John 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? Hasn't overcome that, 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 that the, the light. The light causes the darkness to disappear. So it's pointing to Christ. Even in John 8, 12, Jesus himself, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see what Malachi is doing? It's simple to see. He's using this as a metaphor. He's, he's using this as an illustration for life over death, that we are rescued by Christ from the domain of darkness, from sin, Satan, death, and hell. And you know what, man? As we trust in Christ, one day we're not even going to need the S-U-N because the Son himself is going to be our light. Amen and praise God. If, if, yeah, Genesis or Revelation, I, we could say Genesis 1 too because before the sun was created, the light was shining. We can also see that in the very end. And I will turn to <coughs> Revelation chapter 22, and listen to these verses. And this is always the hope that we have. Our hope isn't just for this life, praise God, but it is for all eternity. It says this, Then the angel showed me a river of water, of life, being as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see him face to face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And then verse 5, and night will be no more. There it is. It's gone. The darkness is gone. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Amen, and praise God. That's our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, the sun shines. So it brings, it overwhelms the darkness, but it also brings warmth. It also sustains life. It makes life possible in that way. So too, Jesus Christ warms our cold hearts. He takes the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh that's alive, that's vibrant, and that, that warmth shine, shines on us. And you remember even the um, incident on the road to Emmaus when Jesus speaks to those men. After he leaves, what did they say? I think we have Luke 24. <clears throat> Their eyes were opened by Christ to understand, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn? Did it burn within us while he talked to us on the road? 
while he opened to us the scripture. There's that warmth. There's that aliveness in Christ. So, so he does that for us. The sun, S-U-N, shines. But he's really speaking of the sun, S-O-N. He shines, he enlightens, and he gives life. So that's a beautiful picture right there, right away. But he goes on, and in Malachi, he says, the son of righteousness. He's, this, he's not just a son, one of many, but the son of righteousness. And now you know that he's not just talking about the sun in the sky. He's not just a source of light or one among many, or one among many enlightened teachers, but he is the light because it's qualified. He's characterized by what? He's characterized by righteousness. He's the son of righteousness, man. He's the righteous one, altogether holy, altogether perfect, altogether sinless. That's who Jesus Christ is. You know, people want, uh, all, they're always in search of some kind of Jesus or some kind of uh, savior in, in a way that, that you know, I, I, I want Jesus to be my friend. That's, Jesus, is my, Jesus is my homie. He's my friend. I want Jesus to be my counselor. You know, he gives me good, solid advice, helps me with the decisions I make. I want Jesus to be my guide. He's, he's a good guide, right? That's, that's somebody to, to look after. I, I want him to be my example. If we could only be like Jesus in our lives and, you know, turn the other cheek, all those things, be like Jesus. We need his righteousness. We need the son of righteousness. And that's what you need to understand. We need his righteousness because apart from him, we are not righteous. We're just the opposite. We need the son of righteousness because we're sinners. That's the bottom line. We can't save ourselves. We deserve his wrath, his judgment. But here's the grace. As the son of righteousness, he comes to make us what we are not left to ourselves. Amen? Praise God. This is that. When he says son of righteousness, it's all about justification. It's all about us being made right before him. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves because we just can't do it. Our best is not good enough for Christ. We need his perfect righteousness. And we talked about this last week, but we're going to talk about it again because it's here in this book. We need that righteousness, an alien righteousness in order to stand before an altogether holy God, in order to be accepted by God, in order to receive pardon from God, in order to be counted righteous ourselves. Do you know we are counted righteous in Jesus Christ? Righteousness that you can never attain on your own, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you want to be, no matter how, you know, trying harder, doing better. No, it's his righteousness. That's why he came. He's a son of righteousness. So we have passages, beautiful scripture. First of all, the uh, shorter catechism, question 33, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Isn't that beautiful? We as sinners, we can't do nothing. We can do nothing to justify ourselves. Next passage says this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have this passage up here often, don't we? You know that we do because you need to have this in your heart. This is our primary passage regarding justification, that we're made righteous in Christ, that all of our sin is given to him, all of his righteousness is given to us. So when the Father looks at you as you trust in Jesus Christ, who and what does he see? He see, yes, he sees the work of his son that we're covered in those robes of righteousness. Therefore, he says, I accept you. 
Your sins are pardoned. You are not guilty. Not because of you, but all because of Christ. He is our righteousness. You see how Malachi is even pointing forward to Christ, our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 says, uh, 30, 31 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one bo- let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing you these things, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the righteous. He dispels the darkness. Malachi is already looking forward to Christ saying, there's one who's coming who's going to dispel. You're sitting in darkness, there's going to be light. He overcomes that. He's the holy and righteous one. You're, you're, you're sitting in your sin. Here's one who's coming who's altogether righteous, who will give you, make you righteous before God. But it goes on. There's even more. It's just really amazing. He says, but you who fear that my name, the son of righteousness, righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. The son of healing as well. Do you know that Christ brings healing to us as well? That's what he does. That, that picture of healing is, is um, the idea of, of mending, of making whole once again, of, of kind of bringing together a, a fullness of, of healing, especially between sinful man who's estranged and at enmity with a holy God. We're alienated from him. We need healing, don't we, in our relationship with the Lord. We need to be brought into that reconciled relationship with God because we are alienated from him. There's, there's wounds there that need to be healed because of our enmity. But I need you to understand something. It's not just our enmity towards God. God's not like saying, oh, you know, please come back to me. I want you to, I'm right here waiting for you. No, 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 no. God also has enmity towards sinners as well. So it goes both ways. We're enemies of God to be sure, but there's a holy righteousness against sinners as well. So we we need to be, we're separate. We need to be reconciled to him. Isaiah chapter 59 speaks to this idea of God's righteous, his righteousness and the enmity towards us, that, alien, that holy alienation from us because of our sin. So in Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verses 1 through 3, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Now check out verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue utters wickedness. Do you see that? So there's that, that holy alienation by God, and we need to be reconciled. And Christ is the son of healing, and he brings us together. He makes that reconciliation. He brings us back to God. He heals and restores that broken relationship. So in Romans 5, we're told while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you see what the son of righteousness does? the son who dispels the darkness 
His righteousness is given to us. He heals us and reconciles us to the Father. Malachi is looking forward to Christ this whole time. So they say, oh, Christ isn't even in the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament have to do with the New? He's all over the Old Testament. All of Scripture speaks to Christ. That's a perfect example of that. And we need him. And these people were saying, you know, Lord, how long? And here's that hope for his faithful people. He brings that healing. He dispels the darkness. He justifies and he reconciles. But that's not all. It goes on. You see all these elements of salvation that we have in Christ. It's just so beautiful. He goes on to say, um, at the end of that verse, you shall go, you should go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's an important verse too. And if I just like pass over that verse, it's really important because it speaks to the the continued work of the Son, S-O-N. Because in him we grow. Like, like, and I love this picture. Again, there's a there's a far-reaching um after the second coming, there's that, that joy and freedom in the Lord. But he says, you shall go out. You're going to go out leaping like calves from the stall. And that's really important because that means in Christ we're rejoicing. Our faith is vibrant. We're alive in him. We are being sanctified by his spirit. That's kind of the idea here, that we're going to go out rejoicing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing at all. And he says, when he says from the stall, that means that this, this, this calf is stall-fed. So it's not just out in the field grazing or trying to find its own way or its own food. No, 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 no. It is being fed. It's being fed the best. It's being fed the richest nutrients, a balanced diet so that it grows healthy, so that it grows strong, so that it can go out and live for him. And, and that's why it's like leaping in that way. That's, that's uh, renewal. That's strength. That's rejoicing in the Lord. So we go out in Christ and we live for him. We do seek to live lives of grace, lives of wisdom, and lives of obedience to Christ. How? Feeding on his word. Feeding on the means of grace. Solid food. Living for him. Where your faith is apparent, where you're growing, and people see it. Where you're you're Growing in your knowledge and understanding of the word and then the outworking of that word. That's the idea of leaping. That's the idea of growing. That's the idea of of health and joy in the Lord. And that shows up. It shows up in your worship, how you come to worship, how we receive the word. It shows up in your relationships. It shows up in your attitude towards others and towards things that you need to be doing. It shows up in your motives and it shows up in your service. We go leaping as joy in him. You see that? All this in Jesus Christ. All this in the son of righteousness, the one to come. And then verse 3 looks ahead. Um, Verse 3 says this, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Again, this looks more forward to the consummation of all things. And as his saints, even in glory, Scripture really indicates that we're going to take part in some way as the Lord comes and and judges the world. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 6, we're told, don't you know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? In Revelation chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So we share in, in that authority, in that final defeat of wickedness in some way. So it definitely looks f- 
forward, like beyond, to the second coming, to the consummation. But it also means something even now for us as Christians, that we're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, that we do have the authority of the word. You guys do. We do in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? We, we have not only the authority, but we have the obligation to fight the good fight of faith. And that means engaging. That means being involved. Right? That means um, being salt and light in this world. To stand in the gap. To, to call out wickedness for what it is. Don't capitulate with it. Don't give in to it. Don't just say, well, they're doing that over there. As long as it doesn't affect me or my family. Look, it's going to affect you and your family at some point. We need to stand. We need to be that salt and light in the world. We need to confront evil where it's at. We have that power in the Lord Jesus Christ already. We need to call people to repentance. We need to call sin, sin. We need to call wickedness out for what it is as Christians. Again, I think far too many Christians are just kind of finding that peace or making peace or having truths with, with the world. We can't do that. We have to say, no, you're the difference maker, man. The Lord is using us to shine the light of truth. Now, how you do that, how you choose to use that is up to you. But if you're faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ and you understand that he's going to put that wickedness under our feet, then you need to call out. We need to overcome evil with good. We're not doing that in our day. We're just kind of letting it go by or, or kind of you know, winking an eye at it. We can't do that. We need to pray for our enemies while firmly standing on the truth as we wait for him. He's the son of righteousness, the son of reconciliation, of sanctification, and of glory to those who fear him. That's the qualifier, to those who fear him, who trust in him, who love him. Do you love Christ? Are you fear? Do you fear Christ? Are you trusting in him today? And this is true of you, and it needs to show up in your life. You can't play games. You can't, we've said just in the beginning, you can't have it both ways. You can't serve two masters. You can't walk that fine line. Don't play on the edges because you're going to go over into sin every single time eventually. We need to stand firm in him and be who we are in Jesus Christ because who we are in Christ is contrasted with those who do not believe. Go back to verse 1 real quick as we come to the end of this message. Verse 1 says, For behold, and this is the other side, this is the truth, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. That's language of judgment. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it, it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's utter destruction. That's utter judgment. That's language of judgment in Scripture. And that's what's coming. And that's what does truly await those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who aren't walking with Him. Even those who, who go to church on Sunday, who kind of read their Bible, who kind of play that little game with God. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of my time, but most of my time's my own. I'll say one thing, but I'm going to do another in my life. That, that's who he's speaking to as well, not just the outward sinners. Absolutely, they're, they're um, included in this. But even those, like those people in the time of Malachi who had that veil of righteousness, that veil of religiosity, but they weren't really loving the Lord. Oh, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far, far away from me. Don't be like that because judgment awaits. And that's where the contrast comes in. He says, those who do not fear him, who don't reverence him, that half-hearted faith that so many seem to have, which is no faith at all in the end. He says, the arrogant. You know who the arrogant are? The arrogant are the ones who said, 
Who needs God? I don't really need God. I got this, God. I'm good. I don't really need you. That's arrogance. You could be the nicest person in the world and still arrogant in the eyes of God because you are rejecting him. That's arrogant. We talk about evil. He says the evildoers. You know, when we think about evil, we think of the mass murderers. We think of this. We think of that. Man, evil is just, I'm going to do what I want to do. No matter what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I see fit. I'm going to do what pleases me. I will not stand in the day of the Lord. It just won't. And he says all, all of those, every single one. Again, that points more to the, the second coming of Christ. But it speaks to justly deserve punishment for the rejection of God. That's what that is. Who live in defiance, simply live a defiant life towards, towards God, who live in unbelief, even if they have the outward appearance of religion. That's what it's about. That's why, that's what's at stake for us here. That's why we say this, it's, this isn't a game that we're playing. We just don't come up here on Sundays and kind of give a speech. This isn't a place where you're going to come and just always just kind of feel good and hide. Oh, what? Listen, man, this is serious. This is absolutely about life and death. It's, it is about heaven and hell. It is about time and eternity. It is about now and forever. Do you understand? So, so we make it our aim as Christians, as those who've been bought with a price because Christ loved you because of the love that's within him, not because of anything. Just imagine that grace. It's not because of you. It's all him. There's nothing about us that would, would be attractive to him in that way because of our sin. It's simply his grace poured out on us, and he saved us. And how do we repay him? Well, you answer that question. for How are you repaying the Lord? How are you walking? How serious are you about your faith? Malachi was serious when he was addressing the people because they were playing games with God. Here, God, take this. I'm keeping the best for me. Here, God, I'm going to go over there and, and be with the person I want to be, even though that person has no idea who God is. But she loves me. Right? Our marriage just isn't working out. We just have irreconcilable differences. So I'm, I'm out of here. We're just going to, I'm, I'm done. I'm walking away. And I'm not talking outside the church. This is inside the walls of Christ. My resources, my gifts, my time, my talents. I'm going to use it over here and, and help in this way or to get ahead or to make my living, which is not a bad thing. But church is way down here on the totem pole. Am I, am I giving to the Lord? We need to make it our aim not only to live for the son of righteousness. We do need to do that. But we need, and it's a joyous thing. That, that's the, there's such grace. I love living for the Lord. Don't you love living for him? Even in the difficult times, even when it's hard, that grace in the midst of the difficulties that we find, that joy that passes all understanding that you don't even know what, I shouldn't have any joy at all because of the situation I'm in. And yet, because I'm in Christ, I'm able to bear it. I'm able to get through it. I'm patiently waiting on him. I have what the richest, richest millionaire, zillionaire doesn't have. I have Christ and I have peace in him. That person doesn't. They're looking for it in other things. And that's only temporary. It won't last. It will be burned up in judgment. Only faith in Christ gives us that peace, gives us that hope, no matter what, all the time. Amen? Yeah, 
Absolutely. So we, 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 we live for the son of righteousness. Our lives belong to Christ. I want Jesus to be every, in, in all of our lives. I want us to be spent by him. I want us to be used by him. No matter what situation we're in, we're instruments in the hands of our redeemer. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Do I need to leave this job because, because of, of, of what's coming down, the mandates that are coming down in order to be faithful to you? Well, I'm going to do that and not serve myself. I'm going to make those hard decisions. Because it's easy to follow him when things are cool. But when things get tough, we need to make those tough decisions. Am I going to obey Christ because I know this is right? Am I just going to go along with the world to get along with the world so I don't suffer too much? That's a big deal. We need to consider that in our lives, especially in the times we're living in. We need to proclaim. We need to live for the son of righteousness because he gave himself for us and he loves us. And we need to proclaim, proclaim, proclaim the name of Christ, that salvation that justifies, that, that reconciles, that sanctifies, that glorifies. We can't be ashamed. We can't be afraid, man. We just need to do it. We need to honor him in our lives. As he gives us opportunity, we need to preach it because that is the hope of the nations. Changed hearts by Christ. That's how lives change. That's how families change. That's how societies change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not this program, not that program, not doing this, not doing that. It is the gospel of Christ. It is the hope of Christ. And Malachi was pointing to and preaching the gospel of Christ to the people in his age. We need to do the same because he is the son of righteousness.